Welcome everyone. Happy Sunday, fun day. How is everyone? How was your week? Mine was super stressful, but we, well, not we, I am working through it. And tomorrow is the start of a brand new week. And I consider myself a bad bitch sometimes, and I'm going to conquer it all. Um, some work stress, but we're going to work through it. But I have some very exciting news to kickstart this episode. I'm now live, guys, on iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, iTunes, and Radio Public. I am very excited. Your girl is very blonde, and I took some time yesterday, I want to say probably about an hour, <laughs> and figured it out. So if you listen to me on those platforms, you can now. Yay! So plus where you've been finding me, so Anchor and Spotify too. And I did it. So happy dance. Well, this case today is a real bummer and it's just downright horrible. This man that we're going to talk about today is a monster. Well, they all are, but he is just one of the worst in my eyes. He is also one of my favorite serial killers. Yes, I said that one. And yes, I said favorite. Weird thing to say, right? We all have one, don't we? Or is it just me? I say favorite like he isn't my favorite person. He's a he's a god-awful person. But favorite because I truly believe his upbringing and his hate towards his mom had a lot to do with what he did and the end of what happened causing him to confess and why he did it. We are going to start by saying that he murdered six college girls and four others giving him the name the co-ed killer, a.k.a. Ed Kemper. He is one bad guys, one of the bad guys. Buckle up. He's a wild ride, okay? So Edmund, also known as Ed, was born in Burbank, California on December 18, 1948. Ed had a very troubled upbringing. And anyone surprised that I said that? They all seem to start off this way, right? Like, what is new? I feel like they all have this horrible upbringing. And now all people who were brought up bad or had troubled childhoods don't turn out to be serial killers. But I really do feel that his upbringing had a lot to do with this. And you'll see why. This wasn't the case for Ed. And I feel that he might have some other issues too. Um, I'm not quite sure. I'm not a psychologist and... He was never diagnosed with any issues, but I feel like there were some deeper issues going on there. And if you will, and especially with his mother, and you will later see what happens to her. Ed's parents divorced early in his life, and he moved to Montana with his mom, Claire Nail. Claire Nail. I'm going to, I can read her name, you guys, but I cannot pronounce it for some reason. Claire Nell. Claire Nell? Whatever. Ed was the middle child and the only son, and he had two sisters. Now, when Ed was born, he weighed 13 pounds. Yes, yeah, you heard me right. 13 fucking pounds. Hoy, as a woman, can you imagine giving birth to a 13-pound baby? I was terrified of giving birth to my 7.5-pound daughter, but 13 I am in pain just thinking about that. He was a 
big boy. And he was a foot taller than his classmates at the age of four. So this this guy is growing and kind of scary at the same time. Can you imagine this big guy? Now, wait till I post pictures of him. He was just this huge guy and he didn't look scary. But just knowing what he did and his size just scares me to death. Um, what's even scarier is how he got along with the police. And he even was buddies with them, but we will get there a little later in the story. Now, early on, Ed loved to torture insects, and he even buried his family's pet cat alive. Right off the bat, off to a great start here, Ed. Real great. Now, once it was dead, he unburied it, and then he decapitated it. because. Why not, right? What else are you going to do with it? That is what all Norman children do. Is it just him? No? Okay. He hung the cat's head on a spike for display. Mm -hmm. Real sick and twisted shit there. I should mention at this time that he did this, he was only 10 years old. Ed's most favorite thing to do was lying, and he loved it. He got pleasure from it. And he was very happy and pleased with himself when he successfully lied to his family about their family cat's demise. Ed didn't stop there. At age 13, he killed another family pet cat who favored his younger sister more than him. So jealousy, right? (sighs) Twisted, sick Ed kept this poor cat in pieces. He dismembered the poor thing and then kept it in his closet like a trophy. There was no no shame in this one. He, he didn't even try to, like, cover that one up. Now, his mother found it, and then he lied to them. You know, his mother found them. It's just like, what the hell, right? Now, I'm pretty sure. I don't know exactly what he told his mom as a lie, but I'm pretty sure it went something like this, if I had to guess. That was he found the cat like that and didn't want his family to be upset, and so that's why he hid it. I'm guessing But I don't really know what happened other than the fact that she found it. So Ed lived in this sick, dark fantasy life that he would take his sister's dolls, remove their hands and heads, and killing was all he could think about and what he wanted to do. One time, his older sister, Susan, teased him and asked him why he didn't kiss his teacher. See, now Ed would go to her house and watch her through her windows. The nasty perv he is. This was his second grade teacher. Just yuck, you guys. Disgusting. He was in second grade peeping in on his teacher. So his sister teased him. Now he replied and told her if he was going to kiss her, he would have to kill her first. This motherfucker, second grade, saying he's going to kill somebody already. Now, if you're wondering what Ed's favorite game was to play as a child, well, you don't need to wonder anymore. It was to play gas chamber with his sisters and electric shock with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you heard that right. Yeah, completely normal. Mm -hmm. I'd say Ed is, is completely normal. When I say he had a charitable childhood, he really did. Now, he was horrible, but his sister, his older sister, was also horrible. His older sister, Susan, tried to push him in front of a moving train. Yeah, 
pushed him in front of a moving train, his sister. And then later, she successfully pushed him into the deep end of the pool where he almost drowned. What is wrong with this family, you guys? Seriously, I want to know. Can someone tell me, please? When Ed's parents divorced, he was very I can talk. Devastated over this. And his mom would often put him in the basement in fear that he would harm his sisters. Yeah, you think? Homeboy killed the family cats. And he's playing gas chambers with them. I'd be a little worried too, but his sister ain't any peach either. (laughs) Now, his mom was just as lovely to Ed. She would mock him and tease him about his size. At age 15, he was six feet, four inches tall. She would call him a weirdo, wouldn't show him any affection out of fear that he would turn gay. She was afraid if she loved her son and showed him too much affection that he would turn gay. That is just awful. And even if he did, who cares, right? Give your son some love. Problem again. He's not getting affection from his mom. On top of that, she would tell him that no woman would ever love him because of his size and that he was ugly. And Oh, Clenaire, Clenaire. We said her name wrong again. She's just a wonderful human being, isn't she? At the age of 14, Ed ran away to be with his father. He couldn't take it anymore with his mom. Now, when he got there, he learned that his father remarried and had a stepson. Now, this upset Ed, I'm sure, because since it kind of seemed like his dad didn't want him, he kind of moved on, started a new life with a new son. And Ed was acting out, so he was sent to live with his grandparents in Northfolk. Ed absolutely absolutely hated living there. Ed was now 15 and living with his grandparents, and he was sitting at the dinner table with his grandma, Maud, while his grandpa was out to the store. They started having an argument, and this caused Ed to storm off like most teenage boys would do. Now, you would think Ed would shut himself in his room when he did this, like most people, Nope, he grabbed a rifle, went back to his grandma, and fatally shot her in the head, and then two more times in the back. Before he shot her, she said, you better not be taking that thing out and shooting birds. And then right after she said that, bam, he shot her. So people say, and I kind of read about this, and I'm not quite sure if this is 100% true, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Um, But it's said that after she died, he apparently stabbed her several times. And when Ed's grandpa, Edmund Sr., came home from grocery shopping, he was met by Ed in the driveway with the rifle. He shot his grandpa, killing him as well. Fifteen, guys. He was just 15 years old. Wild. Now, Ed must have shocked himself or was like, what the fuck did I just do? Or like, what do I do now? Because he's never killed anybody before, but he always thought about it. He went back inside to call his mommy dearest. She told him he needed to call the police and turn himself in. All right, good job, Clanel. You did something right. Now that is what Ed did, and he was arrested. After his arrest, he said that he killed his grandma to see what it would feel like, and then he killed his grandpa because he didn't want him to see what happened to his wife and be upset and angry. Yeah, that seems like the logic thing to do, right? Like so many others, Ed was known to be a model prisoner, and he even administered psychiatric psychiatric tests on other inmates because 
he seems like the right person to do it. Now, he was released on his 21st birthday on December 18th, 1969. Yes, he didn't stay in prison because he was a juvenile. And <sighs> Now, even though psych- psychiatrists advised him not to be released, he was released on parole. Now, they really shouldn't have. They really, really shouldn't have because when you see what he's about to do, they should have locked him up forever. Now, he was released back into the care of his mother. Very smart choice, but, you know, he didn't have anywhere else to go. His mother was working at the University of California, Santa Cruz, as an admin assistant at this time. Now, keep this information in your brains because it's important later on. At this time, Ed was attending community college, and he really wanted to be a police officer. He was rejected from the force because he was just too big. He was six feet, nine inches at this time at 21 years old. Holy hell, that is a big dude. And honestly, like, why wouldn't you want a big dude like that on the police force? I mean, maybe nowadays it might be a little different, and I don't know back then, but I would want that big bastard in on the police force. He's scary. (laughs) Now, because Ed did not get on with the police department, he kept police officers as his friends. He kept in touch with them, and he would even hang out with them at the jury room, which was a bar where a lot of the police officers would go to have drinks. (laughs) I think that's funny. That's kind of an appropriate name for police officers to go. (laughs) But anyway, uh, he was known around all of them at the bar that he was a friendly guy. And since he couldn't get on with the police department, he started to work at California Department of Transportation. Like, almost seems like he's trying to turn his life around and do the right thing, get a job, be a normal person. But nope, you guys, it's Ed. Now, his relationship with his mother was the same. Constant arguments, horrendous, violent, vicious battles. He even a violent battle over one time over if he had brushed his teeth. Do this mother effort is 21 years old and his mom and him are arguing about if he brushed his teeth. Now he has have said, no, he haven't no, he has actually said um, that he would have hit his mom if she were a guy. So yeah. <laughs> now Ed couldn't take this anymore and probably smart for him. He eventually moved out, and he went to go live with his friend named Almeida. I don't know much about her, other than that was his roommate, and she seemed to be around not at, like, the perfect times, <laughs> and good for her, because some things that he does in that apartment that they shared. Oh, boy. Now, his mom would go over there and check up on him and call him all the time. I guess it was because he was on parole. I don't know. Clenelle was a psycho bitch kind of herself. So she's just constantly over there. Annoying Ed. When he was working as the highway guy, he noticed a lot of hitchhikers. Remember, it's the time. It's early 70s, late 60s, and a lot of people hitchhiked. And as you learned from our survivor story last week, that it wasn't uncommon. And he kept storing plastic bags, knives, blankets, and handcuffs in his car because that's what everybody does. I know I do, right? He picked up somewhere, he said, around 150 hitchhikers before he started to feel homicidal. 
So he's putting these plastic bags, knives, and blankets and handcuffs in his cars because he's starting to feel homicidal. But it actually took 150 people in his car before he felt that way. So I guess you got to count your blessing there that these 150 people were saved. Now, this is just plain gross. You guys, I just realized too, I say now a lot and I'm sorry. I don't know another segue. (laughs) So bear with me. This is gross and I'm sorry I have to say it but it was a part of the research and feel it's necessary to put in the story. Don't ask me why. But he would call these sexual urges, these homicidal thoughts, zapples. I can't. I just can't. It's gross. So Ed started acting on these zapples. Between 1972 and 1973, Ed killed eight girls by picking up them as hitchhikers near campus where his mom worked. Remember, she worked at the university. Do you still have that lodged in your brain? He started and often would search for victims after getting into arguments with his mom. This garbage human being. And warning, it's about to get real bad, okay? You're going to see why I think that his mom had a lot to do with his killings because, like I said right now, after getting into arguments is when he would look for his victims. On May 7th, 1972, Ed picked up 18-year-olds Anita Luchessa, I think that's how you say her last name, and Mary Ann Pesque, both from Fresno State university and they were hitchhiking when along came ed he told him he could take them to stanford university where they wanted to go they agreed and got in they reached a wooded area an hour away as these girls probably were going through their head i can only imagine he stopped the car and handcuffed marianne and then locked anita in the trunk of the car so anita is in the trunk And then he proceeded to stab and strangle Marianne to death. Poor Anita, hearing what was happening to her friend, but not being able to see and not understanding what's going on, but hearing it. I can only, I can't imagine the fear in Anita as this is going on because all I would probably think is, oh my God, I'm next. And what the fuck is going on? (sighs) So then he strangled and stabbed Anita. He put both the girls' bodies in his trunk and started to return back to his apartment. Before he got there, he was pulled over by a police officer for a tail light out. (sighs) This could have been it, guys. He could have been caught with these bodies in the back of his car. But the police officer didn't detect the dead bodies. Ed just kind of came off as this guy was like no reason to search his body, but goddamn if they did, right? <sighs> so Ed got the bodies into his apartment. Almeida must have not been home because I'm telling you guys right now the things that went on in this house, apartment, whatever you want to, where he lived. <sighs> so he, I'm telling you guys, this is bad, okay? He photographed the girls then had sex with their dead bodies before dismembering them both. He placed them in plastic bags, took them to Loma Prita Mountain, I think is how you say that. Oh, and before I forget, 
this is kind of important. I mean, not really, but it is a part of the story, so sorry. He had oral sex with their dismembered heads before dumping them. Yep, I said it. Okay, I got that off my chest. (laughs) Okay, let's digest that and move on. On September 14th, 1972, Ed picked up 15-year-old dance student Aiko Ku when she decided to hitchhike to dance class. You guys, 15 years old. He took her to a remote location, pulled out a gun on her, and I don't know how this happened, but he somehow got out of the car with the gun inside it and locked himself out of the car. Now, for reasons I do not understand, Aiko let him back in the car with the gun still inside. This sweet girl. She didn't know any better. But why? He had the gun to her. I don't, for reasons, again, I don't understand, and I'm not blaming her, you guys. I'm not, okay? I'm sorry if you just heard that weird ding. My computer just, like, did a weird update, so I do apologize on that. Um, Let's get back to where I didn't lose my place. So he choked her unconscious, raped her, and then killed her. So this time he, he raped her while she was alive and she was fully aware. Even though she was unconscious, she felt it, you guys. You know he did. Or you know she did. He put her in his trunk and then headed back home. But not before stopping at the local bar for drinks. Her in the back of the trunk, dead. So Ed goes in and has some drinks, shoots the shit with whoever, with Poeiko. Now, in the same fashion, he had sex with her dead body, dismembered her, and then had oral sex with her head. Aiko's mother was worried she hadn't shown up to dance or come came home. She was a good girl, you guys. She called the police right away. She posted flyers but heard nothing. You guys, her poor mother. Aiko seemed like such a sweet and talented girl, and Ed just had to go and ruin all that. January 7th, 1973, Ed moved back in with his mother. What in the actual hell? Why? Just why? We all know how well that goes. Like him and his mom are not two peas in a pod. On this day, he was driving around Cabrillo College where he picked up 18-year-old Cindy Shaw. He fatally shot her in a wooded area, took Cindy's dead body back to his mother's house. Um, what? Yes, his mom's house this time. Hid poor Cindy's body in a closet overnight. And when his mom left the next morning, he had sex with Cindy's dead body, removed the bullet, which I think was probably in case they found the body so they couldn't identify the gun. I'm guessing is why he did that. Um, He dismembered her in his mom's bathtub of all places and kept her head for several days. So he kept her head around a while. I think he liked her a little extra special just to have oral sex with it. Not like a trophy. He just was a disgusting, disgusting human being. When he was done with her head, that's a weird thing to say and a sad thing to say, he buried her in his mother's garden. Now, when you later find out what happens to his mom, you're going to realize, like, he tells the story of how he buried Cindy's head looking up at the sky because his mother loved her garden, and it was like she was looking up at his mom. Anyway, it'll all make sense when you learn what happens to his mom. 
in case, spoiler alert, he kills his mom if you haven't figured that out yet. And discarding the rest of her, he threw her off a cliff. This guy. I can't. My stomach turns with him. And it's weird that he's my favorite serial killer. Okay, it's just bizarre, right? But this case is fascinating. On February 5th, 1973, after an argument with mommy, he left in search of victims because that's what he did. Now, at this point, police were onto a co-ed killer, co-ed killer and advised students not to accept any rides from anyone who did not have university stickers because police couldn't think it was someone who worked there. Well, Ed had one because, well, remember his mother works here? And this is where he picked up 23-year-old Rosalind Thorpe and 20-year-old Alice Lee. Lou? L-I-U. Before returning to his mother's house. There he had sex with their headless bodies. Oh, i sorry. I jumped around. He decapitated them before returning to his mother's house. And there he had sex with their headless bodies this time. And then he dismembered them, discarding the remains the next day morning. Now on April 20th, 1973, Ed's mom, Clarnell, 52 year old, 52 years old, came home from a party. Ed waited for her to fall asleep. Now Clarnell was having a good old time at this party. So she must've gotten a little drinky drink on, had a lot of fun, you know, bounce, go wow, wow. Who knows? She's 52 years old. You get a girl even though you're a piece of shit yourself. Now, apparently she had made so much noise that she had woken Ed up. So he was really, really mad about this because, <laughs> you know, if it was me, I'd just be like, get your drunk ass to bed and go back to sleep. But no, this made him very upset. Now, what is going to happen is very graphic and disgusting. And there's no way I can't tell you the details of this. There's no way I can sugarcoat it. Just know this is about to get graphic. So if you want to skip ahead, you can. Now, Ed walks in and Clarnell is sleeping. And so he bludgeoned her to death with a claw hammer. I don't know what a claw hammer is, but it sounds very nasty by the name. I'm going to have to Google it. I should have Googled it before this. A claw hammer doesn't sound nice, but he bludgeoned her to death. She's dead, but he slit her throat with a pen knife and then decapitated her. Now, I'm going to gag no matter how many times I heard this, read about this. I know this case very well. I know what's coming. But, excuse me. I have heard this a million times, but he had sex with his mom's decapitated head. Oral sex. Oh, oh, my stomach. Is anybody else's stomach about to throw up? After he did that, he propped her head up and used her head like a dartboard and threw darts at it. <laughs> Guys, I mean, his mom wasn't the greatest human being, but nobody deserves this. Now, after that fun game of darts with her head was over, he smashed her face in. <sighs> He'd, you can just see 
how much he hated his mother and this brutality that he is doing even after death. He is just going at it. It didn't stop there. He cut her tongue and larynx out and then threw it down the garbage disposal trying to chop it up. Obviously, that doesn't work, you nutsack. Garbage disposals don't freaking... Anywho. Now, after Ed did all this, he went to go to the bar for some drinks like nothing. And after he was done, he called and invited 59-year-old Sarah Hallett to his house. Well, over to his mom's. That was his mom's BFF. And he invited her over to for dinner and to watch a movie. The minute she arrived, he strangled her to death to create a story that her mom and her went on vacation together. So he had to kill her because they went on vacation together. So nobody would arise or raise questions that Clonell was not around and missing. Now he put her in a closet. He left a note for police assuming that they would come across it. So he's, he's assuming that eventually they're going to find this scene. And so he wrote a note. Now this note read... And please tell me if anybody can make sense of this because this note makes absolute zero sense to me. I mean, some of it kind of does, but not really. So drop your girl a note and let me know. So it read at approximately Saturday at 5.15 a.m. Sat no need for her to suffer anymore at the hands of this horrible murderous butcher. It was quick asleep the way I wanted. It was not sloppy, an incomplete gents, just a lack of time. I got things to do. What? I'm not even sure what Ed is trying to say there. And if police find this, are they going to understand what he's saying? I don't think anybody in their right freaking mind is going to say this. Ed fled the scene, heading to Pueblo, California. And with him, he carried three guns and hundreds of rounds of bullets on his journey, which he believed was going to turn into a manhunt. And Ed was geared up and ready to battle and take on his fellow friends, the police. Now Ed's driving for quite a while and he doesn't hear any sirens or anything. And, and in his head is kind of like, what the hell? And he's not hearing anything on the radio about two women being one viciously, brutally. I don't even know how to describe what he did to his mom. I have, I have no words, no words. I can't even, I can picture it sadly, but I have no words to what he did. Like it, it, it is unspeakable. Now he didn't hear anything on the radio. So he's like, I'm going to call the police to confess. And so he went and he confessed to the police what he had done to his mom and Sarah. Not the others, just them. Now, police didn't believe this. This is their buddy, Ed. He wanted to be one of them. He shot shit with them and drank with them. Like, they thought he was joking. They were like, Ed, <laughs> buddy, no. No, no, no. You're you're being silly. That's not a funny joke. And Anyway, they basically hung up on him. They, they didn't believe him. Like, this guy okay so ed called back later and he actually reached an officer that he knew very well now this officer actually believed him 
And then when Ed was in custody, he also confessed to the other six murders. Now, when he was asked why he turned himself in, he said his original purpose was gone, his mom. So you can see why I believe that his fully did these things because of his mom. I think it was because she didn't love him. I feel like, well, actually, I don't really know. Like, if she gave him more affection and didn't tease him and loved him, would he have turned out this way? He was already kind of doing things before the non-affection, but I don't know. He had a lot of animosity and anger towards his mom and this all I fully believe happened because of it. And now that she's gone, he had no purpose. He didn't feel the need to, to kill anymore. And Ed was indicted on eight counts of first degree murder on May 7th, 1973. He was found guilty on all counts naturally. Now, Ed, he wanted the death penalty. He wanted a death by torture. Now, but the mortimerium, mortimerium, I do not know how to say that word. You guys know what I'm trying to say, okay? Was placed on capital punishment, so the death penalty was off the table for him. So he got seven years to life on each count. So he's in prison for life, you guys. And he is said to be, guess what, a model prisoner yet again, just like when he was young. He currently, because he's still alive, currently resides at California Medical Facility, which when they say medical facility, I feel like that's like a a crazy high risk uh, prison, like not like a normal prison. Ed is now 73 years old and, you know, death would have been, death penalty would have been nice, but that's what he wanted and let's let him suffer in rotten prison. Maybe he's getting beat up. We don't, we don't know the whole story, but he is 73, still alive, still Ed, but he's there for life. So we don't have to worry. Cause I, I mean, and even I feel like if he did get out, maybe he would be the one that wouldn't do that again because his main purpose was gone. And, you know, I, I wish he got the death penalty because I'd be curious what his last meal would be. Does anybody ever wonder that? Or is anybody else fascinated by their last meals? Like some of these serial killers or just killers in general when they get death penalty and the last meals they choose, like shrimp and things like that. Like it is fascinating. Like I, I'm going to try to bring you the last meals if they got them. So far we've done stories where they've been killed in prison and or they got life. So they didn't get death, but I I just am curious about what these awful people choose as their last meals, and I will include them if I have one. And also, shout out to my brother. What up, broski? He got me this awesome cookbook of serial killers' last meals for Christmas. It is so cool, you guys. And each meal has a blurb about that serial killer. And in that book, I have not heard of any of those serial killers except for maybe two or maybe one or two. So I'm definitely, definitely going to be cover some true crime stories out of that. Eek. Well, that was a crazy story, guys, huh? I just, he is Ed. I mean, I don't even, I don't even know how to end this. Like, Ed, you bastard, you sick 
disgusting fucking bastard. You're an awful human being. And you deserve to rot in prison like you are. And I hope when you do die, it's a horrible death. Just saying, just throwing that out there in the universe. Uh, I am trying to think of what I'm going to do next week. I think I'm going to bring it a little more current. And when I say that, I don't mean now, but within the last 15 years. <laughs> um, I will figure it out. But in the meantime, I hope you guys are all enjoying. And again, you guys, you can find me on iHeartRadio, on iTunes, on Amazon Music, on Radio Public or Public Radio. Oh, no, Radio Public, sorry. You can still find me here on Anchor and Spotify. That's my main things. And you can follow me on Instagram to see this disgusting human being at Twisted Wicked Crime, the pod. And if you guys have case suggestions or you just want to flat out give me your thoughts and maybe maybe I said something wrong or got some information wrong, I don't mind if you correct me. Um, I try many platforms to research and I know some things aren't always correct, but I try to deliver the best and most knowledgeable information that I can to you. But if you have case suggestions or you just want to chit chat, you can email me at twistedwickedcrimethepodcast at gmail.com. And I hope everybody has a lovely rest of the weekend if you're listening to this today. And I hope you have a kick-ass week. Talk to you later. Bye. Thank you.